Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome to this episode. This is a discussion that I had with Craig Fisher, who was the co-author of a thought and action paper that we co-wrote together called Charting the Future, a Framework for Thinking About Change. And that paper can be found in the show notes at a link there. It's about 16 pages long. And in particular, we're focused on the community sector, not-for-profits, and charities, and asking seven hard questions that we think organizations need to be thinking about. So you'll hear us outline those questions and also talk about other things that are not covered in the paper. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, you might want to check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog. Now we're just going to get straight into this conversation. Kia ora koto, ko Stephen Toku Ingwa, no Ototahiao. Um, it's a real pleasure to welcome you all here. Um, we basically, Craig and I said, should we hold a some sort of an online thing? And that was like two days ago. <laughs> so it's wonderful to see um, so much interest. Um, we've been really encouraged by the emails that we've been getting and questions and challenges to some of the things that are in this report. Um, our, our main aim here is to outline some of the background, some of the thinking that went on behind the scenes to, to create it. So I'm assuming you all have a copy of it or have at least glanced through it. Um, but we'd also love to go into some of the things that we didn't put into the report. Um, it's deliberately a short document. Um, I think it's the type of thing where you could make it very long, but we wanted to keep it really accessible. Um, so uh, maybe, Craig, I might hand over to you just to do, if we could just introduce ourselves and then we'll get into the more detail. But why don't you go first and then I'll introduce myself after you. Thank you. Kia ora whanau. Um, lovely to see you all. Craig Fisher uh, is my name. I struggle to describe myself sometimes. Uh, I'm a chartered accountant. I've spent 30 years in auditing, so I'm a, I'm a black hat thinker. I think the worst about everybody and hopefully prove the best. Um, and my experience across that has been uh, working across government. Uh, I used to be the auditor of 320 state schools, for example. Um, so an agent of the Auditor General uh, across corporate and all levels of business in New Zealand, which is mostly small to medium privately owned businesses when, when we actually break down our country's economy. Um, and a significant amount of time in the not-for-profit and charitable space. Um, that's always interested me a lot. So as the auditor, I've often been the bad guy going into organisations and talking to boards and uh, telling them things they don't want to hear, uh, especially about hiding money and other things like that. Um, and it's, it's really, I guess, opened my eyes to a lot of the way that our organisations run. Um, I also sit on a number of boards myself. Um, I am the chairman of the Fred Hollows Foundation. Um, I am a trustee of Sustainable Coastlines. Uh, I am an independent councillor of the Auckland District Law Society. Uh, recently become the um, independent audit committee chair for Ngāti Whātua Orake. Uh, and uh, also on the external reporting board. Uh, we're just stepping off the Audit Insurance Standards Board, um, but also still involved with the external reporting board. So a wide range of spectrums and views, I guess, there, uh, and hence um, motivated to put out thought pieces like this uh, based on things that I'm seeing 
um, to hopefully shake up um, some good discussions. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I guess, the context that, that I come from. And um, yeah, back to you, Stephen, for your context. Yeah, great. Thank you very much, Craig. So um, similar to Craig, I work as an advisor. So my um, day job is as a lawyer. Um, the one thing I always have to explain to people uh, is my accent. So I uh, have parents who were from America, but we moved to New Zealand when I was seven years old. So I actually went to Canterbury University. I worked at Russell McVeigh in Wellington for a number of years. And then I worked overseas for 11 years. So I was based in Tokyo, London, Sydney. So I had a bit of an international background, um, I guess it'd be fair to say, um, but came back four years ago when my children came home singing the Australian National Anthem. We thought actually it's time to come home. Um, and from my perspective, um, I'm helping a lot of charities and not-for-profits, um, as well as what I'd call for-purpose organizations. So that's encompassing social enterprises and um, impact investors. Um, and do a lot in that sort of space. And um, like Craig, I have other hats as well. Um, so I'm the chairman of uh, Community Finance, which is, uh, we call the social enterprise, looking at um, providing social housing. Um, just finished raising about $15 million from philanthropic investors into that. And I'm also a director of a charitable company called Christian Savings, um, which provides funding to religious organizations across the country. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of my own background and context. And Craig, maybe just we can riff off each other here now at the beginning, but basically this document did not exist seven days ago, eight days ago. Like it was, it was purely, um, I, I think Craig, we should say as well, Craig and I've been on um, committees together and we've been organizing um, conferences around the theme of charity law, accounting, regulation. So we kind of have bounced each other, bounced ideas around a lot. And I've always enjoyed the challenges that Craig brings to my thinking. And I think we felt a mutual ability to challenge each other. And so we, uh, I can't remember who said it first, but it was, we should do some sort of a, a paper together. Um, and, and I will admit that many of the thoughts within here came from Craig and I feel like I've been able to come in and um, riff off of them and, and hopefully help to expand it. But Craig, from your, from your perspective, is this something that had been in your mind for a while or? I, I hold no license on these thoughts. These are thoughts shared by a lot of uh, different people that I've had the pleasure of working with, um, questioning their organizations, doing the hard mahi to try and make them better. So, um, yeah, as Stephen says, we've, we've thrown this together in a bit of a hurry. Um, and I guess uh, there has to be an apology for that as well, because we, based on some of the feedback, we know we've offended some people already. Um, so apologies for offending. Uh, unintentional, uh, even things like our maps, the fact that um, we're dealing with colonial maps and not maps that recognise the tangata whenua of New Zealand, which is a, um, a, an appropriate uh, feedback and criticism of it. Um, so sorry if we've offended anyone, but really the whole point is let's get to the core of some of the big questions that need to be asked and debated uh, so that we can be a more effective Aotearoa and have more effective organisations. Um, there's a lot of organisations going through a lot of pain at the moment. Um, and interestingly, COVID is just increasing that pain. And, and I think that's a really important point from a lot of my observations is while COVID is a terrible health and, and now flowing onto an economic impact, actually 
in its essence, what it's doing in a lot of cases is just putting a blowtorch under existing issues that organizations were already facing and already struggling with. Um, and my hope is that this, um, this blowtorch, if I use that analogy, is enough of a, it creates enough of a burning platform to actually force positive change. Because in a lot of organizations, one of the biggest things that we face is uh, a concern about doing something and offending people and um, the difficulty of getting change to actually happen. And because of that, we don't sometimes do the hard things that are needed or ask the hard questions and have the hard discussions. Uh, and therefore, we uh, sometimes in organizations limp along painfully rather than do some hard thinking and some hard things that maybe will improve our lives dramatically. So really, that's our our hope and our context here in terms of writing um, this short paper. Uh, and, uh, you know, while we've got seven questions in there, goodness me, there's a lot more questions than that um, for boards to be to be kicking around with. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also important just to, to understand the context. And, you know, both Stephen and I come to this with the context of not only the charitable and not-for-profit sector in New Zealand, but also the business sector and also the government sector. Um, and I think for too long in Aotearoa, we have tended to look at organisations with a, quite a narrow view set, um, a view set that basically says, oh, I'm corporate, I'm government, I'm not-for-profit charity. Um, one of the, the most heartening things that I've observed in the last couple of years is organisations across all three sectors waking up to the fact of a more holistic view needing to be taken. And if I can characterise this, um, you know, our government, we have the first wellbeing budget. Um, that's a really useful lens to holistically look at decisions that are being made by government for the rest of us. Um, in our corporate sector, at the top end of town, we have uh, integrated reporting, which is a concept of a company trying to report not only its financial results, um, but also to show what its impact on society is, what its impact on the environment is, what its impact on all of the different things that it touches are, with a view that it can hopefully show a more sustainable model, business model, operating model, license to operate. Um, and, you know, while there's a lot of cynicism around that from some people in terms of, oh, this is just corporate greenwashing or, or whatever the case may be, social washing, um, actually there's some genuine desire to do a better job of reporting and for organizations to show that. So I think that's fantastic. And then if I come to the not-for-profit and charitable sector, um, there's a, a legislation requirement for charities anyway to actually report their service performance. So why they exist, answer some key questions, answer why they exist, what they've set out to achieve and what they've actually achieved as well as what did it cost them to do that and where did they get the money from and all the things that make you know, accountants like me much happier. Um, so we've got all three sectors in New Zealand actually looking at more, or looking more holistically at their impact. And one of the things that I greatly hope out of this, and I think we're already starting to see some green shoots, is that the three sectors can operate more seamlessly together and collaborate more. Um, recognizing that you don't just operate in the commercial sense, you don't just operate in the not-for-profit sense, you don't just operate in government. We actually, all of us, I'm sure, on this call, actually have quite a number of hats that we wear at the same time. We're all a little bit um, schizophrenic on that. Mm. 
there's one other a concept that I heard this week, uh, well, last week actually, um, from Sir Bill English, which I thought was really interesting, specifically in relation to COVID. And he described the inequality of impact of COVID. Uh, and I don't know if anyone heard this, but he used the analogy of a tornado hitting a town. Uh, when a tornado goes into a town, uh, it will completely destroy some buildings. It will seriously damage other buildings. And yet, a couple of buildings away, one can look like it's completely untouched. And I think that tornado analogy is a really good analogy at the moment for what we've seen from COVID so far. Uh, I was on a uh, webinar this morning and speaking with someone from Naitahu uh, who was saying that they've closed down 14 of their 16 tourism businesses. They've put them in hibernation. You know, that's been the immediacy of impact. And yet on that same call was a, a number of other iwi organizations and one of them saying, we're really lucky. We haven't really been affected because we're involved in a whole lot of different areas. Um, so we are going to see a, a great inequality of impact here. Uh, and that's going to be challenging for different organizations. But possibly the biggest immediate impact out of COVID, if I were to put it that, is would be the uncertainty uh, when I'm talking to people, uh, most people are saying, well, we just, just don't know yet. Uh, you know, we can see some things that are happening, but we're just not sure about what's going to be the case going forward. And that's part of the reason for our motivation, I guess, of looking at the really big questions for an organisation. Because when you're dealing with a high level of uncertainty, it's really important to come back to the fundamentals of what is your organisation, or more importantly, why does it actually exist? Uh, if you are really clear on the why, then you can generally find a number of ways to get to the what and the how. Uh, and opportunity of something like COVID, um, as, as unfortunate and as horrible as it is, um, is a great opportunity to come back to looking at some of those really hard questions. And so what we thought we'd do, um, we're, we're actually really keen to hear from you. Um, so as I'm sure we're all familiar, but there's a chat function. So feel free to type in questions that you'd like us to answer. Um, they can be provoking, disagree with you on this or that, we don't mind. Um, the purpose of the paper, as I think we put in the conclusion was, we actually hope that there's some things that people disagree with because at least it's getting that engagement. Um, so, but what we would love to do um, is just run through briefly. Um, we're just going to take one question each and just give our thoughts. So we, as you know, we put in seven, what we call hard questions, um, and we thought that would be good. But just before I dive into that, we did choose the motif of the maps and the charting because we love that quote from Alan Kernow, simply by sailing in a new direction, you could enlarge the world. And the challenge and the encouragement, you know, we want people to be thinking, what is the potential here? What, what is the opportunity that's presented? Um, and so that's really the heart behind it. Um, I just want to make sure that everybody knows we're intending this to be a positive contribution. It's not intended to be a negative thing. It's really how do we get to where we want to go? Um, so Craig, what we'll do is we'll just run through the questions. If, if any of you have questions, um, feel free to put them in the chat about the paper, anything yeah, we're, we're open, we're ready to answer. Um, and we do, we've had a number, a bit of feedback as well, so I'm sure that we can riff off of comments that we've been having. Um, but the, the seven questions, so the first one I'll just deal with, it's actually really simple, but it's harder than you think. What is our purpose? Now, um, I often am dealing with charities and not-for-profits, 
and some of them have been around for decades. And quite often, the um, trustee or the document that founded it is sitting in a drawer somewhere, and nobody's actually gotten it out to look at it for a very long time. So what we're trying to do here with the first framing question is just remind people to go back and say, well, what, what was the context that originated? Why are we here? What, what are we doing around the table? And very often this will be people now who are, you know, potentially generations removed from when it was set up. So the first question, uh, the provoking question is, we don't want to just see ambulances at the bottom. We want to get the fences at the top. One of the key ways to do that is to say, what is our purpose? What do we stand for? And um, having that focus and that clarity will mean that lots of other difficult decisions just fall into place. So that's our question number one. I'd just to add to that point that Stephen's made there, I've always been intrigued when I go into organizations, um, all types of organizations, and ask question like, why do you exist? And that the differing answers that I get from the same board, uh, you know, people within the same board not able to tell that. Um, and then I ask management and I get different answers again. Um, it's always struck me that organizations with absolute laser-like clarity of purpose are the ones that tend to do the best. Uh, you know, an acid test for me is that elevator pitch. If you've got 60 seconds in an elevator, can you explain to someone why your organization exists and what you do? Now, and if you can't, well, actually, that just says you need to spend some more time working out how you can do that. Uh, because that's really, really important to have that level of clarity as to why you exist. Not how you exist, but why. Because there's lots of hows. There's, there's an innumerate number of hows. Um, but there's not, there should only really be one why. The other key point, and thank you very much, um, Karen Rangi, and Kiorana to you, Karen, for the question on this particular point, the first um, a chat point I've had here already, is how much when you're looking at the purpose, do we actually understand of the views of the people that we serve? Or have we over time started to eat our own lunch or believe our own press or however we put it, where the brand of an organization becomes more than the mission of the organization? Uh, and it's interesting, especially in terms of a crisis situation, as to are we focusing on keeping the organization alive or are we focusing on what it is that the organization exists for? And unfortunately, I see a lot of organizations that do more for the brand than they do perhaps for the mission. They can confuse those things over time. Um, and it's, it's a perfectly understandable thing. If you build a very successful brand in an organization and that helps you do what you do, um, sometimes you can be overawed or that becomes the lens through which you look at everything. So why that you exist is the most important question to me. And, and I love your question, Karen, in terms of how much do we actually understand our beneficiaries view of that? And how do we bring those voices in? Um, you know, is it just a, a user group when we're doing our five-year strategy and then we forget about them again? Um, really? You know, what's that about? How do we reach out? How do we get that ongoing engagement? Is it diversity, getting some of those beneficiaries onto our board? Is it um, 
an ongoing way of reaching out and getting feedback. And you, know, you need to try lots of different ways of doing that, uh, depending on what your, your beneficiaries actually are. It, it's, it's interesting when you're also dealing with, say, a beneficiary that's the environment. How do I know that the forests of New Zealand are um, believing that our organisation is being effective? Uh, you know, that's a whole different way of actually getting feedback into your organisation of needing to look at the scientific questions and things like that. Um, but really, we started with what is your purpose as number one question, because both Stephen and I concur that it is the most important question to really understand with laser-like focus why you exist. The second one, Stephen, if I'll just move on to that, um, is do you actually have a right to exist? And this is a really uncomfortable question. See, I just swiveled in my share there, even as I've said it. Um, it's uncomfortable because we're doing good in the sector. And we know that we're doing good, but is that actually enough to give us a right to exist? Um, especially if our doing good is taking up resources that could be utilised by someone else who could do good much better and much more effectively than us. Uh, and that's a really interesting challenge. Um, it, it flows onto the, the question that's bounced around for a long time in terms of how many organisations we have in New Zealand in the charity and not-for-profit space. So, you know, Department of Statistics, best guess, is 115,000 not-for-profit entities in New Zealand, of which within that is a subset of 27,000 registered charities. That's a very big number for a population of the size that we have. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But my question is, is that the most efficient way to do good? Uh, and are a lot of these organisations just struggling along to employ one or two people, or are they actually making a really demonstrable impact in their communities and to whatever the, the cause that they're seeking to address actually is? Um, we have very low barriers to entry uh, in New Zealand, which is fantastic. We have a, a DNA um, of Kiwis about uh, doing it yourself. You know, DIY is in our DNA. We all love to do it ourselves. Um, although I've just had someone doing some work around my house because I've been locked in my office for long hours uh, and I decided it was more effective to pay him to do some work. And also, as I was saying to him the other day, you know, I could do what you've just done. I could build those steps, but it would be my third version that would look as good as yours because my first version would be trying and be a bit rough around the edges. My second version would be a little bit better and the third one would be acceptable. And I think that's a useful analogy to think about our organisation sometimes. Are we the best organisation to do this particular mahi? Do we have a right to exist if we really, truly ask that question of ourselves? And that leads us naturally into the third question, which is, do we still need to exist? And there's just two aspects to this that I wanted to pull out. Um, the first one is that for very good reasons, often we follow the funding. And, you know, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Where can we get funding for our organizations to continue? And sometimes what happens is that over time, we change what we do to be able to follow that money. <laughs> and so the question, the provocation here is, are we actually the best placed organization to do this good work? 
And that's the difficult thing that, that Craig identified before is that no one can deny, well, it's likely that no one will deny that good work is being done. The question is here, are we the right ones to do it? Um, so that's the first aspect to it. The second aspect is, and I'm sure Craig can agree with this, often we get clients coming in who want to start something. And I think this comes back to, in a way, the number eight wire mentality of, I want to fix it. I, I've got an idea, I'm gonna do it. And so we, we bring our approach of um, being entrepreneurial and wanting to start something up. And the question is, if there's someone down the road who is literally doing the same thing, is it the best use of resources, time and effort to do that? Or are we better suited to go and support what already exists? And I think um, one of the issues is that there is a replication sometimes. So if I know some of you are advisors and you counsel people, some of you are charities yourselves, but my, my encouragement to the fellow advisors is, I think one of the first questions you should be asking your clients is really pushing this, do you, are you doing something truly unique or is there someone else that you could get in behind and support? Um, and I think sometimes as advisors, um, we maybe will say, well, of course I can help you. I'll help you set it up, but maybe we can actually help with this as well and ask some of these hard questions at the beginning. Um, Craig, do you want yeah. yeah. to? Great point. And, and I'd also just like to pick up on a point that um, Alex Skinner has just raised in terms of there's often a problem of no clear accountability in the not-for-profit and charitable sector. Um, you know, we're generally accountable to funders. Um, now, if you know that's the government, there'll be contracts and things, the hoops you've got to jump over. If it's donors, um, okay, that's more about communication often. Um, but different to business, um, if I was unhappy with my tradesman who built a lovely set of steps just outside my window, um, I would have debated whether I should pay him for those. Uh, and we would have talked about, uh, you know, the, the, the money side of the question. If I put my charity hat on, um, I've been funded as a charitable organisation to do some good for someone else. And there's a mismatch. And again, I was in a, in a meeting last week and someone talked about the concept of a $5,000 phone, uh, which I think is a really useful concept. So here's this phone. If I'm a charitable organization and I say, you need a phone and we can make this phone for you and it'll be fantastic, it's gonna cost $5,000. I've probably sold the funding story based on the utility of the phone. And the beneficiary is going to say, well, great, I want a phone because I'm not paying for that. So, yes, please. But there's a mismatch there between the person who's paying for it, the person who's getting it, and the person who's doing it, which we don't see in the commercial sector. In the commercial sector, uh, if my steps were rubbish and they fall down, I'm not going to pay for them. Um, in the not-for-profit charitable sector, it's often more about how we tell the story, how we pitch it, rather than the actual value proposition question. And unfortunately, that can result in inefficiency. Um, now, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind in terms of that value piece uh, and how we do it. And we're certainly not advocates, and I've been slammed for this in the past in terms of, especially coming from a business background, um, you know, you're just the corporate antichrist. You just want mergers and acquisitions and you want to create some big thing. <laughs> Go away. You don't live in our world. Um, it's not about that at all. 
It's actually about how can we deliver the most impact for the beneficiaries that are out there. That's the reason that's driving us in this sector. Um, so I, I think we need to question sometimes value a little bit more. And oftentimes when organizations are questioned about value, they fall back on, but we're doing good and it's really hard, all the stuff that we do. And now you're criticizing us for not doing it well enough. Um, yes, yes, probably we are. Yep, okay, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll put that one up there. I think that's a better discussion to have though, rather than too many organizations slowly limping along into failure. And whenever we get a crisis situation, it supercharges that. It puts a blowtorch under um, those things which may have already been pressures. Um, which probably sort of leads quite nicely, Stephen, into the next point. Um, and this was me being really provocative uh, around should our organization have an end date? And I fully appreciate that this doesn't apply to all types of organizations. But I think if we are truly, deeply honest about wanting to do good with a lot of the wicked problems that a lot of us are dealing with, we should think about having an end date. Because if we don't think about having an end date, Maybe we, we get sucked into, for all of the right reasons, thinking about continuation, thinking about carrying on of what we need. I was arm twisted into the Fred Hollows Foundation quite a number of years ago by the then chairman, the, the fantastic and late Sir Rob Fenwick. And part of the reason that Rob got me into that organization was he showed me a map of the Pacific, which is where the Fred Hollows Foundation operates. And it had dates next to islands. And I thought that was really interesting. I asked Rob, what are these dates? And he said, oh, that's the date that we're not going to be needed. And that really resonated with me. And I, I said, hey, hang on, explain this. What does that mean? He said, that's the date by which time we would have trained enough doctors and nurses in the islands, from those islands, for those islands. And we will have put enough resource in terms of clinics and infrastructure in place that essentially we'll be able to pull out. We may need to fund some of that ongoing infrastructure stuff, but essentially we'll be, able, we'll be out of a job. And that'll be really good because then it gives us the opportunity as an organization to maybe look around for a new job or maybe just uh, pat ourselves on the back and go and do something else. And that to me was a really, really impactful conversation. The interesting thing about it is that it's really hard to set a date um, and actually, since that time, diabetes has hit the Pacific. It's like a hockey stick in terms of its impact through the Pacific. It's created a whole host of other issues, such as diabetic retinopathy. We're having to change our strategy. Some of those dates have changed because of that. Um, but having a date set for your own demise, your own exit, really focuses the mind strategically on how you go about doing what you do. And it's been, in my experience, very positive at making us think more about really moving the dial rather than perhaps being a little bit safe sometimes. So I, I put that out there. And, you know, your first reaction might be, no, you can't do that for my particular issue. There is no date. But I, I challenge that immediately. Um, Predator-free Aotearoa 2050. Bring it on. Um, by the way, I caught a stoat this week made my week. Um, absolutely loved it. Those nasty little killers, imported pests. Um, of course we can have a date. Will we make predator free by 2050? I don't know. 
But actually, if we've got that focus, I'm sure we'll do some smarter stuff and some better stuff and probably focus some more people towards that. So think about your end date. Thanks, Craig. Um, the fifth question, the, the, the provocation is, should we continue to try and go it alone? Um, and I, I, actually, later on in the paper, we have this quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I'm sure that that resonates with all of you. Um, when I first heard that quote, um, yeah, it, it just makes sense, doesn't it? I, I can run fast on my own, but I can't go far. So um, I think that's what we're trying to get at here with this, should we continue to try and go it alone? And we're not trying to say here that we're advocating like, okay, we need to all merge together. Um, what we're actually trying to say is, is there room um, not even wanting to throw in the word, it's more, can we work better together? Um, I think that's the right way to phrase it because that's maybe less intimidating. <laughs> um, we're not advocating that everybody needs to just wind things up or become one. What we are advocating is that we think that there could be smarter ways to work better. Um, and frankly, I get clients coming in and they'll have trust boards that have 12 people on them. And you just look at it and think, oh my goodness, that is a lot. I mean, it, the, the wonderful mahi of these people, it's, it's astounding. But 12 governance roles for this one little organization, you know, it, um, it's just a lot of resource. And if that's replicated over lots of different areas and, and different organizations, um, then you know, you're probably tapping on the same shoulders, you're burning people out. Um, so it's just, what we're trying to do here is, is ask this question of, could we come alongside, could we work with others? Um, I actually see just as an example of this, if you look at uh, some religious organizations, so think of like a denomination, if you think about that, they often will have a central body or group, you know, the denomination, that then has multiple churches underneath it. So that denomination body, the head office or whatever, they, they can actually be a bit more efficient in terms of resources because each of the different church groups doesn't have to have all of the functions um, and they can rely on some of that central organization organizing. And I know this is done to a certain extent in different sectors and parts of sectors, but what I'm wondering here and speaking as somebody who helps small charities, you know, um, what if there was a way that they could come together and pool their needs? So rather than each of them paying an accountant, um, you know, or somebody to do a role for a day a week, what if they pooled their resources and paid one person to help 10 of them? You know, it, it's, I guess what we're trying to encourage here is, is there ways that we could work better together? Um, Craig, you might want to riff off of that before you go on, on to number six. Mm. Now, someone's raised a really good point. How do we collaborate when ego gets in the way? Oh, absolutely bang on. Um, you know, whether we appreciate it or not, we are all driven at some level by ego. Um, my organization can't collaborate with your organization because whose brand is bigger? Um, you know, we can't merge because it's, how's that going to work? We'll lose the legacy of our name. Um, I think ego and the human dynamic of that is the greatest challenge. 
Uh, it's interesting. If you look at these things happening in business, they happen much faster in business and much more brutally because the dollar measure is often the thing that's driving a change, whether that's a collaboration or a merger or whatever. Um, in the not-for-profit charitable sector, we struggle with that because we also want to be nice. Um, my view on it is absolutely we need to have the hard discussions, the hard conversations, and there's no right or wrong answer to those. It's actually about having the hard conversations and exploring, but it needs to be done in a humble and respectful and sensitive way. Uh, I think that's the key rather than, um, you know, what is collaboration going to look at? Is that going to look at taking over an organization? I've been lucky enough to have been involved in quite a number of mergers over my career. Um, and interestingly, there's been quite a big size imbalance on a number of those. And I'm a great believer that one plus one can always equal three if you get it right. And if everyone understands what they are bringing to the table and recognizing the differences and recognizing the benefits of that, um, you know, an example was, was two accounting firms, one large, secure, stable, mature legacy firm merging with a small upstart firm. The large one needed the innovation. It needed the energy. The small one needed the size and scale. One plus one did equal three. Not immediately. Uh, it was probably one plus one equaled about 1.8 to start with and then reasonably quickly 2.2 and eventually three. Um, and that's another reality that uh, if we're doing these things, it's not going to be sweetness and light straight away. Uh, and collaborations are always challenging, whether it's just working together or whether it's the full extent, the end of the spectrum, which can be a merger. And, and please don't get us wrong that we're not suggesting that everyone needs to merge. Um, not at all. What we're suggesting is that is there a better way to go further and better with others? Uh, I think that's the, that's the key thing, which kind of ties in nicely to the, the, the sixth question in terms of are we thinking broadly enough about who to collaborate with? Um, I was uh, interviewing the CEO of SurfAid the other day. I'm a late onset surfer myself. Um, I'm coming to you from Raglan at the moment. Um, it was, uh, it was an, a discussion I was really looking forward to, talking about this organization, this international NGO that does really good work um, based around surfers. Uh, and um, Doug, the CEO, was saying, well, as an effect of COVID, we've just um, co-located. We're now in sharing offices with uh, another charity uh, that gets youth off the streets. And I said, that's really interesting. And he goes, yeah, we, we looked um, around at who, but they were local and it sort of made sense. And since we've done it, um, we've seen actually there's a logical tie-up that we probably didn't see before. Youth off the streets and surf aid. We can actually help infect some of these kids with something positive that they can do uh, that you know we wouldn't have normally thought about associating with them but actually the co-location exercise is working really nicely now both those organizations now have a lower cost base uh, and they're sharing things and there's you know there's some dynamic coming together so that to me was a really interesting example about thinking a little bit more broadly but if I come back to my earlier comment in terms of government looking more holistically at decisions that they're making, uh, corporate New Zealand and corporate internationally looking more holistically at their sustainable strategies. Um, maybe we need to think about more sort of cross-sector collaboration opportunities as well. And this isn't, of course, being um, you know, Pollyanna-ish in terms of saying in any way that this will be easy. 
It's never easy. And it comes back to often that ego thing or even speaking the same language. Um, we need to make sure that we are putting ourselves and walking in other people's shoes in order to get concepts and ideas across. Uh, and we're not always good at, as organizations at doing that and putting ourselves in our donors' shoes or more importantly, putting ourselves in our beneficiaries' shoes. So are we thinking broadly enough about who we could collaborate with and how? Uh, and I think one thing that COVID has taught us all is that actually we can work quite quickly, very effectively, very differently. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people here are coming to this, for, and in fact, I can see it. A lot of people here are coming to us from, from your home. Um, and how fascinating that's been, how effectively many of us have been able to work very quickly from our homes. Um, so, yeah, we need to think openly about this. Thank you very much, Craig. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, it's interesting in the chat, I'm just kind of watching as it's going, and um, there's an idea there for some kind of a dating app between charities that, that they could get to know each other, which, I, yeah, Karen, that's a great idea. Um, before going to marriage, maybe it's a chance to get to know each other. Um, but just to, to, And it to doesn't need to just be with charities, Stephen, if I can throw that in. You know, wouldn't it be interesting if that dating app was any organization that maybe there was value in collaborating with? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's the interesting thing, I think, is that too often we get stuck in our silos and we talk with people who talk like us uh, because we work in the same area. And I'm guilty of this as well. I, I consciously try not to do this, but I work here in a law firm with other lawyers. So who am I talking to? Other lawyers. We have a certain way, you know, um, we could go into many jokes here, but we have a certain way of looking at the world. And so how do I get out of my bubble of thinking and be willing to embrace others? And, and I think what Craig and I are really keen on is to encourage this idea that maybe we can collaborate with others. Maybe we can find other organizations that we didn't even know there was synergy with. And perhaps this crisis is the chance for us to think a bit broader and to look beyond that. Um, traditional ways of thinking, um, which leads us nicely to number seven. So we thought we'd finish the, um, the questions with, can we reimagine the future? And I want to give a hat tip to Dennis Parker, who I think is on this um, call. Um, uh, we, uh, so some of you know about this initiative, but others don't. So basically when the crisis began, um, I put out a call to maybe three or four people about how will this impact the community sector, not-for-profits, charities? And, and talking with three people, it became 50 people <laughs> on a Zoom call right when we first went into lockdown. And every Friday since then, we've been having Zoom calls to discuss what we're seeing. Um, if anybody's interested, there's a vast quantity of material now because I've been recording all of those um, videos. Um, but the point is that last Friday, um, Dennis was there and he was giving us his perspective as a director of trade aid and talking about what they were seeing. And one of his things was, how are we telling our story? Are people uh, willing to listen to our story? What is our elevator pitch? And does this give us a chance to reinvent who we are and how we present ourselves? So what we're really, and actually, um, this is a question that I ask basically every client who walks through the door is, it's 2030, where are you? What are you doing? 
what's going on. So if, if we collectively can start thinking in the bigger picture, you know, and actually thinking in a very Te'al Maori perspective, you know, this isn't about the short-term gain. This isn't about the next donation round or whatever. Um, this is about kaitiakitanga and guardianship for the future and looking beyond the short term. Um, if, so the point is, if we can look 10 years from now, can we imagine what the future will be like? Where does our organization fit? And can we then reimagine the future? If we can do that, then what are the steps that will get us there? So we just wanted to leave that as the final of our seven questions. Is this an opportunity to reimagine our roles, what we're aiming to do, what our purpose is, and then um, the key thing is to be as impactful as possible. Um, so that was the reason that we finished off with that question. Um, Craig, do you want to, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on that final question we had. I think it's really important. I think it's fantastic that Vision Week is happening this week. And I also love the fact that it's uh, freely available and up on um, a number of different mediums. So uh, I've been really busy this last week, but I have been able to stay late at night, up late at night and actually watch it on YouTube. Um, I think we need more yeah, discussions about what we're doing, but actually the discussions now need to get to a point of what does this mean for us in our organization and what are the steps that we're going to make to change? a better future. I've always been a believer that we can only affect some things. Um, and and think something like COVID actually you know, brings us into stark reality. There's some stuff that's just going to happen and that's really sad. Uh, so what do we need to do about that? We need to understand it and mitigate any adverse effects if we can, take opportunities uh, that may present themselves. But there's other things which we have a lot of direction over. And our vision of the future is one of those. Um, it, it ties into that laser-like focus of an organization's purpose. The people that are clearest about that are the ones that tend to actually make the most steps towards it, uh, and towards achieving what that vision is. So I think it's really important that we positively uh, envision our way out of this, a new way for Aotearoa, a new way for our organizations that we're, we're all part of or a new way for other organizations for actually more effectively grappling with uh, the issues that are out there. Yeah, and, and there's a great comment in here from Kathleen um, saying, I would, I would probably even look further ahead, what is our 100-year vision? So, um, and, and I agree. And that comes back to your point earlier, Craig, about the, you know, the map with the end date we will not be needed in this place. So that's really imagining looking forward. Um, we've, we have some um, clients who uh, look, have that time frame because they're Maori organizations and they're looking definitely intergenerationally. I've, I've got one person who's talked to me about their 500 year business plan. So that's a long-term horizon, isn't it? <laughs> when, you're, when you're thinking my great, 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 whatever's, um, how, are we, how are we existing today to build that future for them? Um, so likewise, likewise, Stephen, I've been blessed to be exposed to some iwi organizations and been given an insight into decision-making, thinking about my mokopuna's mokopuna. Yeah. Further out than your lifetime, further out than your kid's lifetime. Um, and I think, you know, it's a really powerful way. And, and in one organization, they specifically had a representative 
who had to hold that view. There was another representative that specifically had to hold um, a Fenua view, what this was going to be on the environment. Um, and their voices were utterly impressive in terms of what those voices brought to board decisions. Um, and, I, and I think that's really important that we need to integrate that more. Uh, it's such a strength for New Zealand to leverage off the learnings of Māoridom and that longer-term kaitiakikanga view. Uh, we, we really need to, um, yeah, I can't stress that enough. Um, we can I just, can I riff off of that just one thing? Um, and I'm sure some of you have heard this, but it's about planting trees, knowing you'll never sit in their shade. And I love that word picture because to me, that's the intergenerational thing. That's, that's looking beyond your lifetime and having that bigger vision. Yeah. And, and there's no one party responsible for driving this. It's not the government's gig. It's not the not-for-profit charities gig. It's not businesses gig. It's actually everyone's gig. Uh, and I think that's one of the challenge. One of the things that I've, uh, that frustrates me a lot when I'm dealing with organizations is we're very quick sometimes to blame. It's, it's those other people over there that are making our lives hard when actually we've all got a role to play. And if we look at our own individual collective strengths, um, we should play to those as much as we can. And that's why I think the collaboration piece is so important for us to get uh, Te Oroa into a better place, into the, the beacon for the world that it could be. Um, you know, personal view here, COVID's a blip. And, and I don't in any way demean the horrible situation and the horrible things it's caused. I was dealing with a client the other day whose father has died in the UK from COVID. He hasn't been able to go and see him or get there. What a horrible, horrible situation. But in the greater context, COVID is a blip. I'm much more concerned about climate change. I see the impacts of climate change as much slower and much more significant in terms of their potential impact than what we're dealing with at the moment. Um, but because it's slower and gradual, we don't address it in the same way that something like COVID, which is a much more immediate, urgent issue, uh, forces impact. But again, it comes to that longer-term thinking, that longer-term view of our organisations. Um, so we, we kind of tried to wrap up the, the paper with, you know, key things that should be considered. Um, your impact, absolutely. And I've been watching the, the chat and trying to, to sort of think about some of those things that are popping out there. You know, who measures impact? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm an auditor. I provide, well, that's my background. Um, you know, I've, I've spent my life and career trying to provide independent assurance over information. Um, but actually, the ultimate tester of that information and that assurance is the users of it. So there isn't a single answer. Hopefully, there's a good framework for providing information and providing assurance over it. Um, and the, the parties like the XRB that, that set the auditing standards, they need to own that space and do as well as they can. But there is no one answer to um, how do we measure impact and what's the right impact and actually you know, what's right is, is an opinion. Um, but we do need to get better at thinking about that more broadly. Um, information technology. Wow, aren't we lucky that something like Zoom existed? Man, just in terms of something that most of us have been able to freely use, uh, that we've all been able to pivot to straight away, using that horrible word pivot, um, change to, uh, to, to actually operate effectively, 
uh, a free bit of IT. Fantastic. Um, but to me, it's also highlighted that most of the charitable organizations that I'm involved with in a variety of capacities have woefully under-investigated, under-invested, sorry, in their IT capacity. Uh, and that's a big issue. Uh, you know, I often hear also, oh, it's really hard to get volunteers, um, you know, because uh, our volunteers are 60 and 70 and no one wants to volunteer like us anymore and we can't get the youth to help. Um, wrong. Um, it's just a different way of volunteering and different skill sets. Uh, and isn't that a lovely example to bring a lot of youth into our sector, a lot more youth into our sector in the next immediate future? Because also a lot of youth are going to be horribly disproportionately impacted by the economic impacts of COVID. Uh, I have a university graduate who has been desperately trying to get a job all of this year and to no success. And, you know, he's a smart boy. Um, they're going to do it tough. Uh, but, hey, there's opportunities there in terms of actually leveraging skills and digital natives have a really great set of skills. Stephen, i pass to you. Yeah, no, that's great. And what we tried to do towards the end here is just a little visual representation um, and just this idea that while trying to summarize some of the questions, if we can define our clearly our purpose, if we can ask some hard questions, if we can innovate, and if we can work together, that we're not advocating any one of these things as the magic thing. They, they all work together. It's all a combined synergy that you get once you start on that path. Um, but that was our, what we wanted to encourage and um, hopefully in a positive way that people will read this and bring it to their boards and start asking some of these questions. Um, I think uh, I liked some of these comments that are going in here and just to have said it, I think um, I'm putting you on the spot, Craig, but I'm, there's so many good questions and comments here. I don't think we're gonna do them justice. So what I propose we do, I'll be able to see that, we'll be able to save the chat. Um, I think Craig, you and I could probably spend a little bit of time typing out some responses after the um, call is over and circulate them um, because we're recording this as well. So we'll be able to send a link to you all because um, I know some people have been privately messaging me saying, will this be available afterwards? And the answer is yes, it will be. So why don't we aim to do that rather than try to run through every question I think if it's okay with you, Craig, um, we will try to put our thoughts on each of them and send that out in an email after the call um, because, yeah, we're conscious um, that given that we, we allocated an hour for this, there's absolutely no way we can do justice in four minutes to run through the quality of questions that we've received. So, um, yeah. Um, Craig, was there any other thoughts that you wanted to, to run over? Um, there's been a number of questions around funding. Um, I guess I'm really delighted to see the levels, the enhanced levels of collaboration that I'm seeing in funding community, especially philanthropic funding. Um, if I compare this to the GFC, um, really it was quite disconnected, I thought, in terms of the, the global financial crisis and the impact that it had on the sector uh, as to funding. This time I'm seeing some really fantastic collaboration. Um, so... I appreciate that funding is, is always a challenge in the sector, um, but I think you know, we can take heart that there's some really good hard thinking going on with a lot of the funding organisations in terms of how they can be most effective. Um, we do need to get over short-termism in New Zealand. 
Um, Short-termism is a, a huge disease. Um, we need to really embed that longer-term thinking um, to encourage and point us to doing the right mahi <laughs> um, rather than just the urgent mahi. Uh, I think that's that's a key issue I'd like to leave with Stephen. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. The other thing is that um, I do a podcast called Seeds, so I'll pull out the audio of this and I'll make it an episode of Seeds because that gets a, a couple hundred people listening to each episode. So that's another way that we can share the the messages and, and the thoughts. Um, uh, Craig, I know that you're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm sure we would welcome other people connecting with us there. Is that right? <laughs> sure, happy to. Yeah. And if and there's been quite a few people do using that as a way to message and and get questions through. So, um, yeah, we're we're really happy to connect. Hopefully, you see the spirit with which we've offered this paper. We know it's not perfect because we literally started writing it about nine days ago, <laughs> but. We hope that it's a contribution to the thinking. We hope that it's a challenge. And we hope that it's something that uh, can be circulated and shared so that others can be challenged by it as well. And we welcome part two, which perhaps we don't write, and that points out the things that we could have added or, or missed. So I'd encourage some of you as well. It literally starts by just sitting there with a blank piece of paper and starting to type. And all of a sudden you have something called a thought and action paper. So, And if I could just add, the name of the paper was very specific, a thought and action paper. Because thoughts are fantastic, but they're useless unless they're put into action. Um, and it's everyone's challenge or our challenge to everyone to do our collective bit in terms of putting things into action. Um, I'd just like to thank everyone for the opportunity for this corridor today. Um, lovely to, to be able to have this discussion and to see the quality of things coming through in the chat. Absolutely fantastic. Um, and also just, I guess, to thank everybody for all of the huge mahi that you do in all of the organizations and all of the hats that you wear. Um, that's really, really important and it's always undervalued, um, but it's fantastic to see people engaging in this really important sector in New Zealand or a better New Zealand. Thank you. I echo that. Thank you so much. And thank you, Craig. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we will finish it off now. Cheers. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you do, check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog. Until next time. <laughs>